Ahoy! You're listening to Diffuse Tab with Kenny Estes and Isla Krem. Today, we're chatting with Mike Revy, CEO of Bola Network. We'll be talking about the future of blockchain with Conode on-chain payments, what kinds of businesses use this infrastructure, and the kind of security required, even though implementation might look easy. Enjoy! Welcome back, one and all. Hope you had good chats in the breakout rooms. Some of you might be confused as to what is going on if this is your first time doing this. So welcome to Diffuse Tap. Here is what is on tap. So this is a weekly event. It's every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central. This is the 145th time we've done it, which is exciting. I don't know. We should do something for 150 Island, by the way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're going to briefly talk about Diffuse Tap and Diffuse, why we do this event. We're going to do a fireside chat for about 15 minutes with Mr. Mike Revy. And then we're going to do two more rounds of breakout rooms, kind of similar to what you just experienced. We all have a topic. Feel free to ignore it. Uh, but because Diffuse Tap, the event you're at, is mostly networking, about 45 minutes of the hour is you in a small group with four or five other alternative investors from all over the world. Pretty heavy slant towards crypto, as you might imagine. And then what well, we do want you to learn a little bit, which is why we have the fireside chat session of it. If you like this sort of thing, the networking in particular, we do do in-person versions periodically whenever an ambassador comes forward to organize it. Uh, the next one is March 15th in Chicago, uh, hosted by Adam Rafi. So if you're in Chicago, March 15th, come check it out. I Actually, I won't be there for that one, but hopefully you will be. Diffuse, we are a fun platform primarily focused on crypto. Um, the Big push right now is our index fund product that we're actually in the middle of listing. Just as soon as it gets the fin through the FINRO process, it is unclear for those of you who are tracking the news how much our application is tied up with Grayscale and the SEC fund. So we'll see how that all shakes out. But we should be hearing back and potentially be live in the next uh, month or two. So stay tuned. But, oh no, I lost my slide. Ah, but either way, Mr. Mike Revy, if you could please unmute yourself, tell the folks a little bit about your background and what you are up to now, and we'll start the fireside chat. Okay. Thanks, Kenny. Um, I'm very happy to be here, honored to be here to talk about Bola Network. My background, I was, I've been a programmer since about 1980, so I've, I've written a lot of code. And uh, Bullet Network is uh, a DAP. It's it can it's a simple uh, claims protocol plus dashboard. The dashboard is uh, a bit like a Venmo without a bank. Let's say you can go on it and do simple things like document a payment and execute it. But then you can interact with the claims protocol and mint a claim. So you can mint an NFT invoice or you can mint a contingent payment to somebody. Uh, it it's on twelve different chains. It does almost every ERC, big ERC-20 that I can think of. Um, it works with multi-sig. There's lots of reporting, lots of CSV downloads, so you can get your data in and out. So it's a really handy tool for getting some of your business uh, on-chain. Um, a lot of people that use it are doing that. They're paying consultants, let's say, in, in crypto. Uh, the bigger idea behind Bulla and I think behind NFTs in general is to create a sort of um, uh, source of truth for claims. Uh, and once you have that source of truth, a blockchain of contingent payments, uh, then you, then we can talk about more transparency and, and uh, cheaper underwriting of finance uh, later. 
And that's something we've been working on. I just got back from ETH Denver. Uh, we did a hackathon with an interesting company called Huma Finance, where you would take the, we would be the asset originator for claims that that could ultimately go into a pool and and get financed. So that's, that's Bola. Fascinating. So we'll dig into kind of a little bit larger, on a larger scale, the use cases that you're trying to address here. I'm, I'm seeing some uh, very positive messages. People <laughs> NFT invoices, killer use case, so that's great. Um, can we dig a little bit into conditional payments? What are they? Why are they important? Why does crypto solve that use case particularly well? I, I think business uh, starts with credit and ends with payment and not the other way around. So like, you know, using Bitcoin all the time is kind of like you're in a cash economy. And uh, the frustration I always had with Bitcoin was exactly that. I can't, I can't give you an order and, and as a Web3 business have a view on my horizon as to what I might, you know, what kinds of other things I need to order to satisfy some, you know, demand on chain. And, and so what a conditional payment solves is it gives businesses on Web3 a way to organize themselves and see their horizon, what they need, what they need to produce, and it gives you a, a tighter collaboration with your counterparty. There, it's not me to the bank, to some third party. It's me directly. Uh, if I have an NFT purchase order, for example, that's a claim. That's me indenturing myself to somebody else for a product. That's that's collaborative. That's between me and the other other party. And what's what I think people don't necessarily understand is the the point of view. Depending on what my wallet is, I could be the creditor or I could be the debtor. I will see a payable or a receivable or a loan payable, loan receivable on my dashboard, and you know I can I can start to collaborate more closely with my um, you know uh, other people in business. So how does it maybe dig in a little bit more on the details of how this works? So conditional payment. My my understanding from what you're saying here is that. An invoice goes out, the invoice is effectively an NFT. And it says, hey, you do X, Y, Z, and we're going to pay you A. Those are terrible, terrible variable names. So you got the gist. Um, <laughs> and then I do X, Y, Z, and then now the payment of A has to go through. Are we escrowing the money contingent upon that? Is it actually truly like a net 30 type setup where, hey, you do it, you both agree that it happened, and now you have to pay off the invoice, but it's just kind of checked off like, you know, QuickBooks checkmark. How does that work from a from a technical point of view, from a user's perspective? Uh, we're, we could do escrows, but we chose not to. Instead, mm -hmm. it's a, I always say, well, even though the, the blockchain is allegedly anonymous or pseudo-anonymous, that doesn't mean you're going to do business with people you don't know. Uh, so it's it's really as simple as it, all, all I'm minting is a creditor, a debtor, an amount, and on a chain. And then you can reject it or pay it. You can agree that, yes, this is a, an invoice. I, I recognize the invoice. Why would you want to do that to then uh, facilitate monetization or factorization later? Uh, we have like a buy now, pay later, which is implicit that you've agreed that, yes, this is the product I'm, I'm going to pay for. We, but we didn't do escrow. I think escrow, there are two problems. Well, the bigger problem with escrow is being a fiduciary. I don't necessarily want to be a fiduciary. I don't want to worry about the contract getting hacked or something like that. So Bulla is really more a notational uh, device. And 
And using it, then you could take those claims and try to, you know, finance them. So that's that's the, yeah, any ERC, I see in the chat, any ERC-20, if, if you don't, if whatever chain you're on, you don't see it on the pull down when you make a, an invoice, then you can call me. I'll, I'll add the ERC twenty if you if you need it. Wrapped Bitcoin. It does wrapped Bitcoin. The most interesting. Sorry, I'm I'm looking go at the it. chat. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. Go for it. Um, the most interesting chain that we're on is uh, uh, RSK, which is a, um, a Bitcoin backed uh, blockchain. So it's it's a little more secure than you know, others and a lot of people, it's slower, but you can keep a treasury in Bitcoin and then you can still experience DeFi. You, you know, you have to buy some, what they call RDOC or RIFs, their, their version of stable tokens on their network. But that's, that's the idea is you have a multi-sig or you have some EOAs and then you can start to do your, your, you know, basic business with, with other parties. Last thing is where we are native, you can do, um, you know, if you're on the AVAX chain and you want to send an invoice in AVAX or, or, or you know, just send some AVAX and note it, then you can do that as well. So it's, it's native plus wrapped. Maybe taking a little bit into the orchestration of this, because this is no, no coding required for people using it. Where did that originate from? Was that kind of the original idea that uh, if we're going to build this this capability, then we would build it in a way that uh, you don't have to be a programmer to deal with? Or, or where did that whole kind of concept of being able to do this in a no-code way uh, come from? Um, it, well, no-code is is already, you know, exists in, in uh, Web2, right? It's like um, we're all using um, encrypted kind of JSONs that get sent to APIs for Visa, MasterCard, et cetera. So it's, it kind of already exists. What, what I, my point of view was, um, the, the, let's assume hyper Bitcoinization has already occurred. I really don't have a bank anymore. And well, but I want to facilitate payments. I want to comply with the government. I want to pay my taxes. I need a tool to keep my life uh, organized and, and communicate with my other. Uh, counterparty. So that's, that's where the origin came, came from. And at first, Isla, we were just going to, you know, make a protocol and propose it as a, as a standard. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we did that and the, the GitHub was open source. It still is open source and nobody. Right. <laughs> and so then, then we realized, <laughs> well, maybe we need a front end so that people can interact with it a little and see how it works. So that's the origin of it. It's like you can, it's great to, uh, you know, put on GitHub, open source a bunch of contracts, but people aren't really going to, unless they're, you know, super de duper uh, crypto people, they're not going to hoover up these contracts and use them. You really need to have some kind of front end to interact with almost any protocol. People are lazy. Who knew? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a bunch of good questions in the chat here. So let's go with Chris's first, just top down. Um, are you purely technical or the, the, obviously you're doing AR and AP. So credit is a major concern there. Is that something that the businesses need to do themselves? Um, or is that built into the protocol itself? Wait, wait sorry. What was the question? credit worthiness? So if you're doing accounts receivable, there's some, there's a credit risk, right? Or a counterparty risk. Of are you yeah. involved in that side of it too? Or is this purely on the invoicing? It's right now it's purely on the invoicing, but what I do is generate signals for, 
uh, an evaluator for a potential pool. So uh, that's the way things are going is um, uh, different companies will generate credit uh, signals using on-chain data and off-chain to determine you know, credit worthiness of a particular wallet. And that's, that's, that's starting to happen. I think the, the first iteration might be uh, something where, let's say I have a bunch of gig employees and um, you know, I want to be able to, to offer them some liquidity because I know their, their wallets and I know that I have a contract with them. It's easier for me to you know, see that they are credit worthy and I could finance a few claims with them. I think that's where it will start, but eventually you're going to want uh, more sophisticated signaling and, you know, things like that. That's coming, though. Oh, fascinating. I'll pick up another couple of, uh, of questions here. So how do you think about privacy? I don't want all of my business transactions on chain. I guess the question is, how do you know that's Joe's wallet, Joe's business wallet? Uh, is that traceable? Uh, certainly. Well, you know what the activity, uh, we have a great tool for the uh, coin tracker people in the audience. It's it's much better, more sophisticated. It's an external transaction tool. You go to Bulla, it's not deployed yet, but we're going to this, this, this month. But you go to Bulla, you click on external transactions and up comes every transaction that you've made uh, on 12 different chains. And wow. you can, so, I mean, that data is is around. Uh, if you want to switch your wallet all the time, it's going to be noticed. I'm going to know there's no there's no history there. So why am I going to give just like with credit today? There's if there's no history on Mike Reavy, then I'm not going to get any credit, right? And privacy is really important. Privacy uh, is part of the reason why I think there are so many zk EVMs at uh, Ethereum Denver uh, this week. A lot of people talking about privacy. I think people are understanding the difference between, you know, a public blockchain and its utility and privacy. Um, and, you know, the only reason that you would want to NFT an invoice really on a public blockchain would be to demonstrate your credit worthiness and to maybe factor it or finance it later. But if you're doing something really proprietary in your business, you probably don't want that on chain. Or if you do, it would be on a private blockchain that then uses the public blockchain to interact, um, you know, with your counterparty. So it's, it's, it, we're starting, people are starting to talk a lot about privacy versus public on, on blockchains. That's, that was never a discussion before. The origin with, with crypto was always radical transparency. We're going to be a DAO and we can see every transaction that goes through the DAO. And I, I think that's all great too. You know, and, and if you talk about FTX and companies like that, if they had been using a Bulla or, you know, more protocols to show where their loans were going, uh, I think that's, that's a, a positive for transparency. But again, we're getting now into the ZK. Uh, realm as well. So you can see businesses are trying to figure out how much do I want public and how much do I want private? That's great. Uh, George had a great question, which you kind of talked, you talked about factoring, obviously. Um, what about selling debt, right? So you can sell it. Are these NFT invoices, are they transferable? And then what, if they are transferable, what is the implication there from a legal perspective, not just a technical perspective? I sell this invoice 
from one company to another? Is that enforceable in a court of law? Like you can collect on it? Like, what does that look like? I think there are lots of lawyers in the room. They probably <laughs> can answer this better. I'm not a lawyer. Uh, I do think though, you know, it's the same. If I agree to uh, do a BNPL on chain, to me, that indicates that I have agreed to other things. There isn't a lot of language on Bulla yet about doing that. There probably needs to be. And I would love to talk to somebody who can give me some guidance there. I'm, I'm just building the tool, but it is a, you know, a, a an agreement between parties. If, if some money has gone back and forth, you know, that, that each party understands what, what the other party is doing. In, in the NFT token, or we have a place where you can add hashes for IPFS documents or an entire folder, if that's what you want, if you want to make that public. And the idea is later, um, I've been talking to Kleros, which is a uh, on-chain uh, arbitration place, right? And they, they say, well, you need sufficient public information such that we can quickly decide whether a, a claim is valid or not. And, you know, there's been a breach or if, if we have to, then we go to the, to the more private side where you, where you bring, you know, more data, you go into an actual arbitration. Yeah, I have not completed a SOC 2 audit. I was just talking to somebody, uh, a company about that though. We have done an audit. Sorry, I'm reading the chat. Go for it. Go for it. No rush. We have done an audit with our contracts. They're very, very simple. It's and again, because we take no uh, funds, we never, you know, they're, it's it's pretty. They're pretty simple contracts, actually. Another question for you: um, adoption. Who do you see being the main audience for this? Let's say in the next twelve months versus the next thirty-six months. Are you hoping to go institutional? Would you like to stay kind of with crypto native, crypto first businesses? Where would you like to end up there? Well, I think all of our users are crypto native, crypto, you know, DGENs for lack of a, a better word. <laughs> um, and that's where they are. And, and I think if you look at the, the, the how businesses are, are, are working now, there's a giant gig economy. And why is that? Well, because you know, it's, it's expensive to hire people and uh, it's regulatory, you know, it's, it's difficult. So there are more and more gig workers that I, that I see using our stuff. And there are other companies that are forming to uh, collect these people into, let's say a co-op and where they can get insurance and a couple of other things that they would need that would be hard for them to provide on their own. But to me, it's the, the DGEN gig economy first and then I think businesses later, businesses will want to have exposure. There's there's nothing too broken in Web2, but I think businesses, especially treasuries, will want exposure to uh, harder assets like Bitcoin and, and or Ethereum or whatever other crypto token you like, just as a hedge against some of the inflation we're experiencing. Most of the people that are used, a lot of people that use Bulla are in places like Argentina or South America, and they're there for that for for that reason. They like the USDC stable token, and then they like to keep in their treasury uh, tokens that that they feel are less, you know, manipulated by their host government. Makes a lot of sense. Well, Michael, unfortunately, we never have as much time for the fireside chat as we would like uh, because you know networking, like I said at the top. 
So a couple of quick housekeeping. Oh, sorry, very quickly. When we come back in between breakout rooms, uh, Michael, we're going to ask the same question we always ask, which is tell us the future. Feel free to stick to NFT invoicing or go further afield. You get brownie points for something the for anything the audience hasn't heard about before. Uh, Couple housekeeping items for everybody. Uh, it is a networking, not pitching session. Please be respectful of that, kind to one another. And then we do not do a full participant list for privacy reasons. Uh, so if you meet somebody you want to connect with, swap details then and there, or join our Telegram group, introduce yourself. Great for networking because y'all are coming here to make connections. Ayla, you got a topic for breakout rooms? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the question here coming up next, would you use a online invoicing and maybe even invoice factoring uh, for crypto if you had the opportunity for uh, for your business. I'll pop you into rooms now and we'll see you all back here shortly. All right, welcome back one and all. Hope you had good chats. I know ours was very, very thoughtful actually. It was, it was, it was, it was pretty cool. Um, but with that, Mr. Revy, you wanna unmute yourself and tell us the future. What's coming? What are you excited about? <laughs> The future is is always uh, bright, right? I think that people need to start to imagine a future where there are various sources of truth that you can rely on. That's what a blockchain really is. And how does that change your life? And I think banking, if you look at banking right now, and I have a question for everybody to think about is how much innovation have you seen in banking, right? Not a lot. You are seeing a lot of uh, innovation in DeFi. And, and I think the future is people will have either multi-sigs or their own wallets, and they won't have necessarily a savings account. They will uh, deploy uh, their their savings in different uh, DeFi protocols. And you're going to get uh, fewer and fewer. Banking has to reinvent itself to understand that, to become more of a service uh, a place instead of you know, we just hold your your capital, and you're lucky to get it back out, kind of kind of thing. So, I it's a revolution in banking and banking services that is in in front of us. It's happening a lot quicker than than I expected. Only a year ago, uh, people were barely talking about stable tokens at ETH Denver. Today, it's all about stable tokens, and to me, that represents a, a recognition that well, yes, we need to get you know, uh, fiat currency or its representation on chain so that then we can uh, benefit from a lot of these other, uh, you know, decentralized uh, ideas and banking and services. I love it. Uh, Not to self-plug, but we are in the early stage of spinning up an institutional B2B fintech crypto fund focused on exactly that. How do you institutionalize banking? Because DeFi, uh, decentralized finance is trying to make everything in financial services on chain. They've scratched that surface. There's so much more for them to do and so much more for growth. Uh, so couldn't agree with you more. Ms. Isla, you got, uh, got another topic? Tippy yeah, topic. and I'm going to recreate the rooms feverishly. Um, yeah, so uh, one for you all. If we were going to do advanced financing on chain from a security perspective, what would you need to see um, in order to start orchestrating larger payments? Um, would you pay your rent? Um, would you pay credit card bill if that was possible? I mean, a lot of these bill payment things are actually already possible. I haven't tried it myself for obvious reasons. So I wanted to get a feel for what would stop everybody else from starting to actually operate your life on the chain. I, yeah, I, I think the there, there's not a lot broken with Venmo. So <laughs> you have to think about, well, 
what if I were a landlord right now, I could go to Bola and I could batch create a bunch of invoices. I could batch create 12 payments. Mm-hmm. I could put them on chain and my counterparty would see all of those payments. They would come regularly and, and get paid. And that would be a good way for me to get some money out of uh, a bank and into my own wallet or my own multi-sig. So I, and I think the, the real reason why people will want to do more on-chain is because banking service is becoming more and more difficult. Those, the, you know, these banks are, have, a, have a trouble. Sure. What's the cost of banking somebody is like $3,000. And uh, the cost of doing DeFi is really negligible. There's not a lot of cost involved. So it's really it. those users that that I'm targeting at least. And then I think later people who who are already happy with you know uh, the the existing financial system will start to get interested and want some on-chain exposure. Love it. Well, guys, feel free to expand on that in your breakout rooms as the topic, and you're off you go right now. Enjoy. See you uh, just before the top of the hour. Welcome back, one and all. We're gonna do a quick rippity wrap up, and it is this slide. There we go. Up next, we're going to be talking, and again, this is a weekly every 10 a.m. Central, uh, so join us next week, Automating DAO Operations. Uh, as a reminder, in-person diffuse taps are periodic. Next one's March 15th in Chicago, hosted by Adam. Hello, Adam. And after that, I believe, I can't actually read that. I think it says April 19th in San Diego, hosted by Robert Maori. That probably should be Robert Maori because he's not going to steal things from you. And then also <laughs> do join our Telegram group and uh, introduce yourself, make some connections. But with that, Mr. Rebby, you want to unmute yourself and plug your pluggables. How can people find you? Uh, Bulla.network is our website. So go there. There's a, a bunch of things. You can look at our blog. Or you can launch the app if you have a uh, a wallet that that we recognize, uh, MetaMask, Wallet Connect, uh, Liquality, a few others. Um, and if you have problems, get go onto our Discord and beat us up. I know that's that's <laughs> that's kind of new for a lot of people, um, but Discord is the best place to get us. Great stuff. Well, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Revy, for sharing some of your wisdom here today. Uh, Ayla, did I miss any talking points? Oh. That is no. all. all right. Thanks so much. See everybody next time. Bye. Thank you everybody for coming out. As always, a pleasure to see y'all. We'll see you uh, same time next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you. That's all, folks. Hope you learned something new. If you join us on Zoom every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central, you can also network with other fascinating alternative investors from all over the world in small groups of four or five. Learn more on our website at www.diffusefunds.com. Until next time.